to Oncology Data Advisor. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Maury Gertz from the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. Last year, Dr. Gertz chaired an activity for I3 Health focusing on Waldenstrom macroglobulinemia. Today, he's here to talk about the updates in the field that have occurred since then. Dr. Gertz, thank you so much for being here today. Good morning. You bet. So since this activity was recorded last January, what are the additional advances in WM research that have occurred? So I think that one of the most important things was a abstract that was presented at ASCO. This was a multi-center study where they solicited outcomes retrospectively from centers across the globe. And the intent of the trial was to compare rituximab bendamustine to abrutinib. And when they went through all of it, although the rituximab and the bendamustine tended to have a higher percentage of very good partial responses, the key criteria, which was the progression-free survival and the overall survival, was actually identical between the two. And so since rituximab, bendamustine, and abrutinib are kind of the two biggest uh, first-line therapies, the decision isn't really made on efficacy, and it's generally made based on reviewing with the patient the side effects of the different regimens, and then really discussing with them, would they prefer a time-limited treatment that's intravenous or a indefinite therapy going forward, but that is oral? And so I think it was a really important finding to indicate that you really have choices in first-line therapy that can incorporate patient preferences. There are a couple of things that have occurred. Uh, there was a trial that was looking at the combination of venetoclax plus abrutinib, and accrual to that was suspended uh, due to some early mortality pending an investigation to determine if it is or is not related to the regimen itself. It's important to recognize that venetoclax is actually a very active treatment in macroglobulinemia. And uh, I suspect it will be used as a first-line competitor relatively soon. But whether it's safe to combine venetoclax with other highly active regimens remains unclear. The other thing that I think that I recognized is the fact that viscosity, which occurs in about 10 to 15% of Waldenstrom's patients, has no impact on outcome or on survival. There was an update on, a long-term update on the use of rituximab cyclophosphamide dexamethasone. Uh, if you will, it's an oldie but a goodie. It's the type of regimen that is widely available globally and although it has a little bit more toxicity than our bendamustine, it turns out that it's actually an extremely effective regimen and still should be considered a legitimate option for those patients with Waldenstrom's. One of the interesting things about the PROMISE study is, that is being done at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, where they're doing widespread screening for monoclonal gammopathies in the population is showing high-risk patients. They have a monoclonal protein in 
14%, which about two and a half percent was IgM. So that really, I mean, one in 40 people have an IgM MGUS. And in the iStopMM Icelandic screening study, the incidence of monoclonal protein in a general population was approximately 4% and about 0.7% represented IgM monoclonal gammopathy. So it's quite common and it's it's really out there. This is great. Thank you so much for sharing everything. And we're definitely looking forward to hearing more updates at ASH. Thank you for listening to Oncology Data Advisor. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss an episode. In addition to our podcast, the Oncology Data Advisor site features expert perspectives and news stories on the latest in cancer research and treatments, all found at oncdata.com.